Hey buddy, welcome back to Artificially Unintelligent. Today we're gonna talk about AI on the edge or at the edge. And I think that's a particularly interesting area and it will become more and more relevant in the upcoming years as AI moves closer and closer to the devices, whether that's like the browser, our phones or other IoT devices like sensors and stuff like that. So let's dive right in. Yeah, but I, I might start like, do you know 75 hard? No, uh, what is that? It's like a challenge. It's like 75 days. You have to follow like a pretty strict diet, mm. do two 45 minute workouts, drink a gallon of water and read 10 pages of a book a, like each day. A day, two 45 minute workouts. Yeah. Okay, that's good. I mean, I try to do one forty-five, not every day, but like five times a week. Depends. And depends on what I do. You know, like sometimes it's just like biking in the morning, which is very lightweight. I would say. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I think like the the workout stuff for me, it's the easiest. Um, I don't think it will have any issues. It's more like the like the strict diet, especially like. Uh, because it's no cheating, like no alcohol, no sweets and stuff like that. Yeah. And if you fail, you have to do it like for 75 days consecutively. And if mm -hmm. you fail, you have to restart. Okay. That keeps you like, I don't know, on schedule. Like you have to carry the boats. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Do you, do you, by the way, want to do AI in sports or AI and stuff like that? Or should we still do edge AI? Let's do edge and then uh, sports is a good one. Let's do sports. Yeah, because that, that, I, I didn't really think about that, but that's actually a good um, good topic. Let's do it. Let's do it on Friday. I think I might also be able to get like a good interview guest for AI in sports. Yeah, we can do AI for bachelor parties too. <laughs> <laughs> the, the optimal amount of like drinking to get maximum yeah, exactly. how, 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 the, how, the, how do you how do you how do you optimize your uh bachelor party the best yeah. possible outcome but it, it, uh, we have to like phrase it as an optimization problem with some constraints yeah yeah i, sp I suppose I, I i'm not sure how you would do it but um, maybe someone can look into it yeah, we can get it going. I think it isn't so complicated. I think you can go go pretty far with like Lagrangian optimization or something like that. Yeah. I think we can get it working pretty fast. So I think for ev for everyone who's listening, we were yeah, we we both wanted to do like reinforcement learning the last couple of weeks to talk about. Then we realized we we don't have too much insight, or at least I realized I did not have too many insights. You you could still discuss the theory, um, which means that we will probably come back to reinforcement learning. We just need to uh, uh, get a bit better grip on it and maybe invite someone who is a bit of an expert in this field to yeah. so that we can ask the good questions because it felt like the flow wasn't perfect. And maybe if you have been listening to some of the other episodes, I, I thought we had a really good discussion about like deep fakes and AGI. Um, they were a bit more flowy, if you could call it like that. Yeah. And I think especially for me, I know the theory behind reinforcement learning, but I haven't applied it often enough outside of like the scope of university courses. 
and for me i'm missing like the the context in a larger theme um to really talk like in depth about it or to give like interesting pointers like what to do i actually yes. signed up for a course on udemy now for reinforcement yeah. learning to just go through that because i thought it would be interesting to learn a bit more about it yeah and like the tangentials with federated learning are crazy so it's it's re i think it's like it's pretty similar yeah yeah I, I i would say so and then i mean so so that's why we're just taking taking a bit of a pause on that one and uh, today will be more about edge ai which i think is easy or yeah there's a lot that goes into edge ai too but um we i think you can better discuss it even if you don't have a fully in-depth knowledge of the of the field I actually I've, I've I've did a bunch of stuff on like with Edge AI. Um, okay, yeah. Like on a theoretical and an applied basis, because it did like two two projects with Edge AI. One was mm -hmm. like a health monitoring for babies. Ah, okay. And what what device were you using? Like what what uh, Edge device? It was it was like a wristband and mm. um, it had like a small microprocessor and we implemented like one algorithm which was running on the device which could react really fast so with low latency and one additional like classifier which was a little bit more complex which were running on the cloud i, I think see. that's already a good starting point like where we can go into like what does it mean like ai on the edge yeah for sure so i just i just as a bit of a like short tangent i during my bachelor weekend now i actually had a yeah, like a morning chat with one of my uh, best friends, like uh, flatmates, and he's a lawyer. So I was told, telling him about some of the use cases, you know, like when you work in uh, with uh, yeah, AI production and just developmental stuff, it's it's kind of uh, like you're just looking at the op uh, like the, the the positive stuff and like what's what's good about it and why you're excited about your use case and stuff like that but he had some really good insights on like the the legal side of things like he, he was like i i hear what you're saying but my legal bells in my head are just like ringing full alert <laughs> like when when you're talking about like health monitoring for babies or like sharing data from edge devices <laughs> so, yeah, I, I i completely agree but you know let's uh let's let's make it different like let's define what is the uh, edge ai or ai on the edge would you say i think it's like two extremes are like ai on the edge and ai in the cloud so these are like the two opposites and if you're running ai on the cloud basically you're sending the data to a server's you're training the model there, you're doing the inference there, and you're just sending the outputs back to the device. And AI on the edge is running actually on the customer device most of the time. And this can be like uh, some kind of sensor. It can be the phone, but it can also be like just the web browser the, the customer is using in the end. And this already opens up like some, some interesting components because um, if you're not running in the cloud, you don't have like the computing power and processing power you have uh, like on a on a server. You don't have that on the devices. But at the same time, you have like um, the data doesn't have to be sent to the to the servers. So you have like 
you have many advantages and many disadvantages for like both of them. And I think it has to be really tailored to the use case, whether you're using like AI on the cloud or AI on the edge. So, so when we say when we say running, we mean basically training these intelligent models. So, like when you train the intelligent the AI models on the edge, that means that your edge device, let's say a smart watch or your phone or something like that, has captured some sort of data, and uh, then trains uh, the model out on the device as you said so the data is not transmitted to some remote server somewhere else basically. yeah that's like for me that's a subset like ai on the edge in general only means you're doing the inference on the edge and not the training can be open so the training isn't necessarily done on the edge but can be done like on a server as well and then you're just pushing the models to the edge um, but the inference is always run on the end device in the end. So, so just to, for clarification, like inference, what do you mean with that? So that that doesn't go over someone's head. Yeah. So basically, if you have like any model, any AI model, you have like input, you have the AI model, like a function basically, and then ha you have an output. And if you have like two parts, on the one side, you have training the models where the model learns the parameters. And then you have like applying the model where you just take the model as it is after training, you freeze all the weights, and then you just throw in new input and you put out an output. And that's basically inference, just the applied part in the end where you don't try to improve the model or adjust the model anymore. So, yeah, that's... That's good. It's good. It's good to clarify this because sometimes I feel like you can use a lot of terminology, and this, yeah, it's uh, it's good to just have clarify. Yeah, especially in AI, it's like lost in yeah, translation sure. often. Yeah, the, definitely. But um, so so what's um, what's good about edge AI? What do you find exciting? And maybe you can mention some cool use case that you have uh, studied or looked into. Yeah. Um, so for one, it's like just data privacy reasons. You don't have to send all the input data to the cloud and to your servers. So it's way more private because the inference is just run on the edge and you don't have to store it anywhere. You just can put out the output. A second one is like often you have a reduced latency. So and this comes from like two components. Of course, you have a little bit less of a processing power, so it's a little bit slower. But most often you save on like the communication speed. So you don't have to send the data to the server and then the output back. And at the same time, you often use very lean models. So either they are like regressions or they are simpler, or you have neural nets which are sparsified or quantized. Mm -hmm. And this makes them really efficient to run so they can be run on the edge device. And this often gives like a huge like inference speed boost that just the output is available way faster. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, if you if you have the capabilities to process data on the edge and you can react like, let's say, you know, you have a smart model in a camera or something like that, and it can detect immediately when there is, um, I don't know, farming, some animal is escaping the um, the premises or something like that. Yeah. That that should be preferably done in real time so that you can send a good like alert or alert the farmer or something. Um, yeah. yeah, that's already interesting. Like what you can think about is 
one main criterion for me, which is important. So where you should apply AI on the edge. So where is instant decision-making or instant control really relevant? And this, for example, a good example is autonomous vehicle, where you can like send the data to the cloud and the cloud does the processing and then you decide whether to dodge uh, another car. Yeah, that's 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 not possible. Everything, I mean, you need you need to handle it in the uh, in the vehicle or yeah. So some of it, like the uh, you said, there's cloud and there's edge. There's actually something in between, which is sometimes referred to as fog computing, which is this infrastructure kind of near the edge devices. Yeah. Uh, so so let's say you drive as a vehicle and you have. Um, antennas on the side of the of the of the road or something like that you could do some computing there like for example traffic flow monitoring which is not necessarily something that each vehicle has to know instantaneously but just over a certain time period and then you can communicate there but i think um, edge ai is the uh, the more sexy type of application here and yeah. you uh, yeah so basically, it's still a little bit cloud um, because it's still the computation happens on a server. But in the end, it's just a matter of distance where the server is placed. So mm -hmm. you try to place the server closer to the end devices. So the communication between the server and the edge device takes less time. Yes, that's true. Is there one application area where you are really like excited for edge AI? or like some where you see a lot of growth potential? So I really like the applications in like energy management and energy optimization um, because there are already so many, so many different devices implanted in the houses, in the energy networks and really to optimize like the energy consumptions and when to scale it down, when to scale it up, it can be made way more efficient if you have like instant reaction times. And especially if you think about it, okay, um, we have now a better like cis energy system, like more batteries, more renewable energy, like more solar and stuff like that, where we really have to adjust quickly to like additional generation capacities or uh, additional demand for energy. Um, and this can be really improved through edge devices where it doesn't have to be run like through the servers, but the edge devices by itself can decide when to increase it or when to decrease it. This is a really cool one. I think in like the health domain, healthcare in general, um, can be really interesting. And that's not just like for consumer health, like wearables, but also like the devices in the hospitals, um, where for example, in if the monitoring by the patients can be completely done by the device because so many of the current devices are it's only based on thresholds most of the time which are like acceptable levels but these are like so applicable because it's like every every individual is like pretty unique and there you could train algorithms which which adjust the baselines and the thresholds based on the data they have seen from the individual and then can give like context dependent warnings, whether it's it goes outside of like a third threshold, which depends on the individual. Yeah, definitely. I think we will see more and more wearables, like different ones. You know, you started to see like the smartwatch and the 
the wristbands and all of this with the Fitbits and whatever you have. And I then, actually think uh, we will see less and less. Do you th do you think do you think it will become more centralized in a sense? Um, I think because I mean I know that you are wearing a ring also like as a wearable. But yeah, so it's like I have an Aura in the in the Apple Watch, um, but I think I'm a nutcase in that okay. way. And I just I I started out with a Whoop, then I got like the Aura, and then I got also an Apple Watch, and no. I think it will it will on the one hand it will centralize because. It's so impractical if for every like fitness type or for every illness, you will see its own device because in the end, you will just run around with like 10 different devices. So I would need like one for my asthma, one for my allergies, one for like fitness. And it's, I think it's but I just feel like, I feel like at first it will, it, it might become very specialized. So you will have yeah. like these five, 10 devices, but then over time there will be like one or two devices that can capture it all or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so it's a it's an interesting market dynamic. I, I could dive into like really deep because it's one of the yeah, main maybe another research. time, but yeah. Um, but I think we will see way more remote sensing where you actually okay. don't have like a device on, on your body, but their devices are implanted in like your environment, in your kitchen or in your toilet, for example. Mm. Yeah. The yeah maybe maybe i can see that too um but i also think there's a bit of aesthetics too when you have you know your wearables and like you know it's a watch or it's a ring or it's like you know i actually um, i really dislike the aesthetics okay yeah for the, <laughs> why do you have them <laughs> uh for me like the apple watch is just for tracking my fitness okay, so it's, yeah. uh, i need them for like marathon training when i yeah, sure. i do have to know like the paces and the aura is really for me it's my main fitness tracker because i can mm. wear it like all day and um it's also like during sleep it doesn't disturb me in any way and I think like yeah. a watch is a little bit more interfering. Yeah, watch. Like I also have an Apple Watch, and especially during sleeping, I'm like, ah, you know. The, the the only functionality that I really would like them to integrate is uh, blood pressure. That that would be like, yeah, that would be really a great. It, it is, I'm sure, but you know, they can they they develop it, and now you can see the. Uh, what is it? Uh, your oxygen level in the blood based on some laser that captures like the color of the blood. Yeah. But but yeah, there, there are a lot of functionalities yet to be invented invented for these. But uh, one area where I like edge AI is agriculture. I was kind of yeah. hinting it before. I really think that could uh, i've actually reviewed a couple of papers uh, that used edge ai devices to i think it was actually capturing the concentration of some mosquito around the um like plants and stuff like that to see like if they need to um, you know put in some not disinfectant but like you know try to kind of get rid of them in some way or another just for the sake of the plants and that would reduce the amount of, for example, uh, yeah, what they call, you know, like these bacteria or like bacteria killing um, substances or mosquito killing substances that are just unnecessary to use at all time. And you can optimize it and try to just use it when it's really, really critical, for example, or for example, cattle monitoring so that you you know you can just make not only make sure i was actually working for a startup in this 
so you could uh, monitor cows to see when they are uh, when the time is to be, for them to best mate for example or when you should um, yeah just keep them keep them give you uh, put more attention into like monitor them let's say. yeah i think agriculture in general has to has the most potential for like the two extremes like really on the edge for like instant decisions but at the same time like completely on the cloud for like more complex data types like satellite imagery and stuff like that where you mm. have really heavy pre-processing you have to do and i think it has like the most potential for like the two extremes of the different types of ai if you are looking on where it is running yeah because right now i mean you can like if you put up a camera around your little farm or something like that you can you can do the processing out on the edge like with uh i think this is kind of where we where we're leading up to which is the hardware pieces that enables yeah. um uh, edge ai because 10 years ago when you had the large neural net models and still the gpus uh, they they weren't they weren't they were they were good, but they weren't too good. You know, they they couldn't handle this these big models and a lot of incoming data. Now you you can basically, uh, which is which has been a big enabler for Edge AI. Yeah, and you already mentioned it, like the the different hardware components you you need for AI on the edge, and I think. If you're going for like the edge devices, so this is an, in the end the device where the AI is running, I think you have like three main components. You mm -hmm. have like the sensors, which is basically like cameras, microphones, accelerometers. Then you have the processing unit, um, which is basically doing the computations. And in the end, you have like actuators, which are doing like the giving the outputs or like actually alerts or communication doors, doing alerts or just showing information on a screen in the end mm. and for me it's really similar like the like a the the reflex arc works uh in the human body so basically you sense something for example if you touch like a hot, uh, a hot stove then it's going through like this the spine uh where it's just like basically processing the sensory inputs and then it's immediately going back like the muscles to pull away your hand from the stove and it's like yeah the actuator yeah. these three components which you have on edge devices as well yeah yeah no and i think this uh what we see now is of course like the the hardware pieces become cheaper and cheaper or oh, well it's like it's a two-way here because you can they become cheaper and cheaper but at the same time we get better and better capabilities, which means that you could buy more expensive hardware too. Um, yeah, it's like a cat and mouse game. It's always like the the algorithms or the model, especially in the yeah. last few years, we've seen a trend to like, they're becoming bigger and bigger and more complex. At the same time, like the edge devices are getting better and better. And so it's like a cat and mouse game. The edge devices try to catch up with the processing hardware to keep up with the like the trends in the model that they are getting bigger. Um, so it's like really, when do you get like a new device that can use the new models? Do you keep it like in production like as is? Uh, which is yeah, but it's like it's like your smartphone, you know, like they, the, yeah, the, the the models that are older they might become cheaper but the new models they are like a new iphone is fairly expensive i would say it's more expensive than it was 
when the late, like the earlier releases were, you know, going on, like yeah. you pay 1500 euros for a new, um, I don't know which one is the latest, but like a 13 or an X or something like that. Yeah. And it's like, I think iPhone has a special case because it has yeah, such maybe, a maybe, maybe it's a, maybe it's a bad, uh, kind of but use case. Devices, but... I think it's pretty similar, especially if you're going into like the high end devices, like high end sensors, there aren't so many suppliers. Um, so we did like one project where we did like the room quality assessment and like instant manipulation of the room, like automatically opening windows, adjusting the temperature in the heater and the really high end devices where you can like really do like the quality measurements, they aren't cheap. So they're way more expensive than you would expect. Yeah. Well, I actually, like I worked for, um, for a chem chemical company. And then you can, you know, I was looking at like mon like how to monitor uh, input data or something like that. And some of these devices are really expensive too. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe what's interesting to, to have like additional, like additional points of the infrastructure. So we have like the edge devices, but most often you have like the edge device and it isn't instantly communicating to to the server. But most of the time it, you have like either a Bluetooth connection uh, to another device, like a gateway, or you have a Wi-Fi connection, then a small server, and this one is communicating to the to the real server. And like a gateway is basically just an intermediary device that bridges between the edge devices and the and the cloud. So it's like a communication hub. And especially for if you think about like remote areas. So if you're on a farm and stuff like that, it's often not possible to implement like a direct connection to the cloud from the edge device, but the, they have like multiple jumping points until they get to the gateway. And then from the gateway, they are actually sent to the cloud to do like some processing or something like that. Yeah, I think this is, uh, this is like the part which is not that yeah sexy uh like but it's so important to to improve and use like or like you know have these great capabilities in your devices so that they can communicate i'm thinking about like robots or something when ai yeah. will become embodied you you were talking about some connection with your wi-fi you can think of it as like a home robot or you know when you're uh, what's it called when your hoover or vacuum cleaner becomes smart enough so it knows exactly when it should start you know not only that you put it on a regular schedule yeah but just so that it knows hey you had a party last night so that's why i'm gonna clean while you're asleep so when you wake up tomorrow it's pretty you know let's yeah. say and, and then you need to have this connection maybe with the wi-fi and I also thought uh, if we stay in agriculture, let's say that you have a drone monitoring the um, monitoring like the cattle or something like that, you would need a very good Bluetooth connection to some sort of intermediary um, hardware piece that can communicate with the server, let's say. Yeah, and that's actually what I'm most like hyped about is like not complete edge computing or complete cloud computing, but like the edge and cloud collaboration. But you have like mm -hmm. the benefit of like instant processing, but you can still take like more resource intensive tasks and shift them to the cloud. Or you have tasks which require higher accuracy, which requires a more complex model, which you shift to the cloud. And you have like the 
instant decision making or the tasks where you can share the the data with the cloud um which are running on the device so i think like the the collaboration of the two the combination is really interesting yeah i i also i also like that point and i like the um, i i think I'm most excited about when Edge AI, because Edge AI right now is fairly static. You know, you put up a camera on a on the corner of a farm and it stands there and it monitors the, the cattle, maybe moves a bit left and right. But let's say you have a drone that could actually like operate autonomously, um, even though it has a connection with some, I don't know, Wi-Fi or server, uh, but still captures the right type of things you want to be captured at the edge. Um, I think that will be a real um, like proof of edge AI that it can operate on the edge uh, in a positive way and uh, have a great benefit. Yeah. So I, I guess embodied edge AI I'm very excited about. Yeah. And I think that's like one thing that's like, underutilized at the moment is like the uncertainty aspect which is inherent in ai because most of the time you have like an output but also you have like an uncertainty score or a certainty score with the probability and i think it's really underutilized to that you use that to decide whether you use like different models like more accurate models or whether you shift like the end decision to a human operator where you say like if the model is highly certain okay it can instantly take the decision if the model is uncertain for like if it's like 30% certain that it's, that an action should be applied it maybe should either send the decision to a human operator or it should send it to the cloud where it can be processed by a bigger or more complex model or or maybe also take the decision um that it should try to capture new and better data and uh, make some yeah, kind of, yeah, push to, push to get better data to, to make a better decision later on or something like that. Yeah. And you just, it just can imagine like the complexity it quickly gets to where you have like a remote monitoring system for a farm, which is completely based on, on like satellite images. And then it's uncertain about taking a certain action. It dispatches a drone, which provides more data and captures a few images like close up and then a decision is taking taking and it's i think it's really interesting like how how much stuff you can do and especially how hard you can reimagine how for example a farm would look like in the age of ai where you could like combine all the different components do you think it's the centralized or kind of larger servers will still serve a purpose in the future like with the computing becoming uh cheaper and cheaper and the ai model capabilities are better and better they are they are even smaller or quite sparse like do you think we will actually need to communicate with these larger servers yeah i think so especially if we have like for satellite data processing and also like the really large models like we see like the large language models where it's like no chance that you can run it on any edge device at the moment because you need a few gpus at least especially if like many inputs coming in at the same time which you have to process uh which still will require like a larger architecture or a larger server farm 
Um, yeah, maybe it's also the amount of data that you can capture. I can, you know, a bunch of thousands of satellites that capture imagery and you need to merge it or you need to pre-process it like that. That will maybe require a larger model for yeah. now, at least. Um, yeah, but it's, um, yeah, it's a definitely interesting space and there's so many different use cases where I feel like edge AI is really, uh, an enabler in a sense, like what, what we think about when we want AI to kind of take over our mundane tasks and all of this, I think edge AI will be better at enabling than these central servers. And for me, it's some of the most convenient usage patterns are enabled through stuff like edge AI. So that, for example, many autonomous vehicles, especially like current cars already, like a Tesla, it automatically recognizes when it, when it gets too loud in the car, um, based on your speed and stuff like that. And it puts up the windows. And I think it's so the invisible patterns, like the small stuff where the agent takes like small decisions for you. So it's like just much more convenient. And these are really interesting to me because it's like the small stuff, which isn't like makes the biggest impact, but which makes like the product way better than your competitors. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, it's all about like the, yeah, the wow factor, like, whoa, that's, that actually happened. No, I didn't have to do anything. Something like, these are really cool things, I think. Yeah. Um, and, um, but just to like circle back to something that you mentioned in the beginning, you were mentioning the, the privacy aspect of edge AI, which I think is relevant. What we mean, I think what you meant with that is that you don't have a larger server where all the data is gathered and it's a prime target for uh, attackers or hackers, something like that. However, that does not mean that edge AI is completely secure in a sense. If you as an attacker already know that you want to target a certain place, let's say like a, I don't know, a person with a lot of power, you could just try to, um, go for that one, that specific house. So try to capture a bunch of data from their, um, devices that are located near to their home, let's say. I think you have like multiple ways you could architect like for better privacy. So data privacy for me, it's not about like the security concern in itself that someone might hack it, but that I don't want to share my data with the company. And, and this makes it a little bit more challenging. I think we, for that, we quickly go into like federated learning where I don't want to share my data and I'm training the AI as well on the edge on the device. Um, but you, you can think about like different patterns already. Like you, you collect data, you train a model, then you delete the data and just store it on the different devices. And which makes it like less vulnerable to like one central attack, but to get all the data, a hacker would have to hack like each individual device of all your users, which is like, a, yeah. ooh, it's like a bigger attack surface. Yes. Um, but it also like, it's less of a reward because he has to hack like many different devices and get like a little reward with like the little customer data he can get from it. And it's very prominent here in Europe because, you know, as everyone else knows, we have GDPR and how, yeah, how you handle your data is extremely important. And uh, just the transmission of data complicates things immediately. 
like say transmission of raw end user data is uh, the thing I'm referring to. Yeah. And I think like one interesting development, because I think most people, if they're like edge AI, I'm thinking about like sensors and IoT devices. But a few like months ago, like web GPU got a really big push that it's working properly now. So you can run inference like in the browser of the user directly. And this is really interesting because the hardware hookup between like the browser and like the, the GPU got much, much better. So you now can run like really AI in the browser with like, uh, which has like more capabilities than before. Oh, and um, what sites should one look look into then? For web you GPU? Wanna... Yeah, for example. I would always, always go with like either Mozilla, which has like so many resources or the MDN web docs, which are pretty good resources for that. Mm. I don't know how it is. There, there's one site that I that I used for some like browser Python programming a couple of years ago, which is Replit. I think it's called Replit. Uh, I don't know if that's similar, but um, yeah. I'm not sure how how Replit is uh, running it beneath the hood. Um, it could be. It could be that they have their own servers or like. But this is more like about for me. It's Replit. It's like an AI engineer's tool for like web development and like web GPU is for like actual web developers wanting to apply AI in their tools. And it's more for like people who are like writing JavaScript, React, uh, Angular or stuff like that. Like No, I just, I, I just like, um, you know, when you can, when you can run these things in the browser or like in some sort of, on some sort of website already. So you don't have to download your IDs locally, or you don't need to install your, uh, Python languages, like on your own devices, you know, you can just, um, yeah, run it in the browser. It's like you open up a web page and you go in there. That's quite nice. Yeah. Yeah. And especially I think at the moment, it's most interesting for, for apps like Figma or Photoshop, um, that they can run more stuff instantly without the communication so they can reduce the latency, especially for like the graphical processing part where it's really interesting. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think, yeah, I, I'm not sure. Have you, have you ever seen that kind of Gartner trend cycle or like hype and decline. I, I forgot yeah, what yeah. it's called. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I think I saw Edge AI kind of on there a, a couple of years ago, maybe two, three years ago. And right then and there, it was a very hyped topic. Now it might be in this little low phase before it starts coming up. And maybe let's describe it quickly. So it's basically yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the yeah. Gardner hype cycle. It has like five, five phases for each new yeah. technology. And it's like, it depends on like the X axis is the time and the Y axis is like the visibility of the technology. And the, like the visibility means like how much is it covered in like media? How hyped is it? How many startups are working on it? It's like all of those are factors of the visibility. And you basically have like a, techno a technology trigger, which starts it all. So basically that's the new technology emerging. And then you have like a really fast ascendance where it's really hyped. And the people are like talking about it, imagining like how how can it be used and like really overhyping the technology. So for, yeah, so for example, 2021 was about the blockchain and yeah, NFTs. The crypto. 
that was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that it will like remake the entire like finance finance industry. And this continues until it hits like a peak. And this is called like the peak of inflated expectations, which already says it all. And then like suddenly also at the at the same speed, like it it occurs to people that it's not as good as it seemed. And then it the, at the same speed it drops down again and the hype bottoms out and it's like the throw of this illusion man and then it's like really underhyped again so the people are like it's like a really black face where no no one really trusts the technology anymore and uh, this can be like a really prolonged phase so it can mm. endure for a long time and in the end then it slowly emerges again but the people have like more realistic expectations towards it and it also the technology found its real application where it's really suited to so it's not just a solution in search for a problem but it's found its problem where it's applied to and it solves it better than the status quo and then you have like a slope of enlightenment and that it's called and then it has like it hits like the plateau of productivity where it found its like application and then it stays like at the same level of visibility yeah it's a i mean it's a it's a good way to like present all these different topics that are discussed in especially ai uh, i would say maybe large language models is somewhere around the peak right now but but at the same time they are they are very good so i i, I can't really put them at one spot i don't think i'm yeah, the right person to do so but um edge ai i feel like has been going through it was kind of hyped like before 2020, 2019, 2020. And then the last couple of years until now, it's been yeah, not so like there have been other topics that have emerged, you know, the GPTs and the, the finance world and all this. But I think it's starting to see this uh, enlightenment curve or whatever you want to call it, uh, because the devices are becoming cheaper and cheaper. The models are becoming much like they're better and better. And we, we are finding continuously good use cases where we can apply it to what you said, energy efficiency or agriculture or yeah. So I actually found that. So in 2020 edge AI was like slightly below the peak of inflated expectations. Yeah. That's what I thought. Like before 2020, it was very hyped. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, yeah, so but yeah, we'll see. I think uh, Edge AI will emerge as a as a good candidate to enable a bunch of these technologies that we really, really want in our lives. Yeah, but we we don't really know it yet. But when we have these devices that can make good and informative decisions for us in any way possible, this this will be. A very interesting time and hopefully it will come quite soon i, I don't know i will probably continue be continue to be developed throughout i don't know the next 20 years or something like that to sound like a complete researcher 20 years in the future but um but yeah i think we will see more and more of it and the, the devices will become uh, if not smaller and smaller just yeah just like a fly on the wall they will just observe and make good decisions from it yeah and maybe to close it out, I think what would be your like most interesting areas to go into uh, for HAI? I mean, I feel like we've been discussing both of them. So uh, I'm I'm very excited for like um, biology, AI, and biology, 
or when that, and that is a very broad area so it could mean like medical but also nature uh, natural yeah. sciences uh, but if i had to pick one i think farming is a i think agriculture is uh, could be a big enabler then we could see a lot of life quality improvements from it how about yeah, you for me for me the same and i think there is one like from the moonshot factory of google um that is like a new startup coming out which is called mineral which is doing like so much with edge ai for farming as well and this one looks quite interesting as well mm. yeah uh, and people can yeah they can make up their own mind which one they find the which one they find the best for edge ai um please let us know if you think agriculture sucks or if you want to you know promote another <laughs> another field or another area basically yeah okay like every week um i brought five questions again that's good Hopefully yeah last time i last time i had to freestyle but i think uh, yeah i'm not you sure know, if we published, published that one <laughs> nice so first one what do you think how can ai contribute to the preservation and understanding of our cultural heritage it's mm, a that's a difficult question how ai can what do you say help preserve the understand or help um preserve or understand like whichever direction you want to take it oh i, th I think because um, just reading a bunch of stuff on the internet like we have seen with the large language models uh, i'm not sure if that gr really grasps the, the cultural heritage um of people I think I think the quality of data is very important, like with so many other cases. Um, I think a lot will be text based, so you you need to you need to enable it to read a lot of, for example, good quality books and newspapers, maybe to get an understanding what the, the what the people actually think uh, in a country. Let's say, um, yeah, yes, yeah, so I would uh, emphasize the text-based stuff like you know reading uh maybe, maybe even novels you know just to get like a good understanding of how people write or what people are um, really inclined to read themselves yeah i think for me it's like two areas on the one side it's like the digital clones of people which could be interesting so you just clone like culturally significant people and on mm. the one side like really the the exploration part where you try to because, for example, Sanskrit, like a really old language, it hasn't been so much. It has been explored, but it, I think like the accuracy of the translation is doubtful, which mm. could be also an interesting area for for large language models because they're the transfer learning of them is pretty good. Yeah, I have like it's it's so on topic. Uh, what role can AI play in promoting sustainable agriculture? Okay, um, sustainable. I think uh, optimizing for like a crop, uh, like uh, yeah, energy utilization for for certain crops and plants, like how you can best uh, promote sustainable agriculture and uh, use uh, you know farm whenever necessary, get uh, weather information, um, sprinkle just a, the right amount of water at each spot, for example, and. Um, what else? 
yeah, I'm not a farmer, so they're they're it's, probably it's much so, better, but better use cases. But uh, so I think good. I think monitoring cattle or animals just to see like they are um, when when they're ready to when they're ready to mate or when they are ready to be um, lay eggs. Like I don't know, there there are probably a bunch of small use cases that could like improvement on improvement here. Yeah. So it's it's pretty spot on. Um, so like crop rotations, if you're going into that, like optimal water. So there are a few research papers which came out like the past few years that you don't need as much water as most people are using it. But you can really, if you have it like really targeted, you can swing by with way less water demand and stuff like that, which is really interesting for like, especially like third world countries where you don't have as much access to water as in like industrials. And... Next one. If you could learn to excel at any skill or discipline overnight, what would it be and why? Oh, um, let's see. Right now, I'm really into swimming. Maybe that's weird, but I would really like to be good at like a good swimmer, as a, like physically. Um, Knowledge-wise, I think I would... Um, want to become a have a very good understanding of like hardware and uh, like an electrical engineer i think that's that is also quite interesting yeah nice yeah. if you had an entire day to yourself with like no obligations no responsibilities for the day how would you spend it um i mean i, I wouldn't i would like to spend it with my fiance uh, doing some cool stuff but if it's just me then um, then i would probably yeah get up early in the morning and uh, maybe do some like uh, outdoor walk or something just like listen to a nice podcast uh go for a good coffee in the morning to some cool coffee place, sit down and chat with people. And then in the afternoon, work out and then hang out with friends in the afternoon or yes. late afternoon and evening. Yeah, that, that would be a great day. I have another big one. If you could have dinner with any historical figure, who would it be? <laughs> You're really putting me on the spot today. Right? <laughs> uh, uh, oh. Someone. I think I would want to talk with some like astronauts, to be honest, like that has been to the moon. Doesn't really matter who it is, like out of them, but I would really want to talk with someone who has stepped on to another planet and like what it was like to to, you know, look back onto Earth. Like I think I think that would be very spacey. Try to try to get their perspective on things. Yeah, nice. Uh, so, so, so no specific one, let's say Neil Armstrong, just because he was the first one, but, um, yeah, someone like that. Nice. Yeah. Oh, it's good questions. Definitely. I will think about uh, kind of sim similar ones for the next one. <laughs> nice. Perfect. Okay. So great. Thanks uh, for joining. Um, yeah, I think thanks. next one is on Friday. That's a wrap. <laughs>